Good morning. My name is Aaron Bierke. I'm a pastor at Redeemer Eastside, Manhattan. And uh, it's good to be here again. Uh, I've been up here enough times now where there are a lot of familiar faces, which is always nice. And it's always, um, you know, Mark always has to twist my arm to hang out with them when I come out. It's hard. Someone's got to do it. But um, no, I'm always happy to do it. Uh, but it's good to be here. Today our um, passage comes from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through the first part of verse 7. So I'll read that for us. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Uh, he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He, had, he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for, for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who had done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Authority, a word and a category that uh, is difficult for our culture. Authority over me? Uh, well, the words of Marlon Brando and the Wild One, nobody tells me what to do. And yet, the, uh, the dynamics of authority and power make this world go round. Uh, you have the more informal kind of authority we'll call influence. You have the more formal kind of authority that fits into the category of power. And then if you're a Christian, you have this other kind of category called spiritual authority which is the responsibility and the obligation to speak into the lives of those around you. And what we see in this passage is uh, all three of these versions of authority are played out between David and Nathan. And what we see is that Nathan exercises his spiritual authority over David because of David's misuse of authority. And uh, as we look at this interaction between Nathan and David, what we're going to see is that it's actually a lens for us to use to consider our authority in general, and if you're a Christian, your spiritual authority in particular. Now, for the church, the Bible says that uh, there's both a spiritual and a social aspect to it in the lives of Christians, that there is this radical interdependence in the church and it's really hard to know where that social aspect stops and where the spiritual one begins. So, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then in the Gospel of Luke, he turns around and says, blessed are the poor. And if you're like me, you're, you're thinking, okay, Jesus, which one is it? Is it? The poor or the poor in spirit who are blessed? I think the word would say, yes. They, they, they both are. And so we see this, this uh, social and spiritual dynamic at play when we interact with one another. And that's exactly what we see with David and with Nathan. And so this passage begins with Nathan entering in the presence of David. 
and he's giving him a, a legal case because in those days the judge was the king. And what we see in this case is uh, a, a rich man, a poor man, and this poor man's lamb. And David and the reader discovers that this is actually a parable about David's past. Now, about maybe a year prior to this interaction with Nathan and David, uh, David's army was out at war. And instead of being out in the battlefield leading his army, like the kings in those days would do, uh, David was at home, uh, relaxing. And so one morning, he's standing on his balcony, and he sees this woman, Bathsheba, uh, bathing on the rooftop, and he summons her to himself, and he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant, which of course poses a, a problem for David, that pregnancy could expose him. But to make matters worse, uh, her husband was one of David's best soldiers. So David's got an issue on his hands. And so he begins the process of covering it up. Plan A, he summons this soldier off from the battlefield, brings him into his palace, he feeds him, he drinks with him, he tells the soldier to go back home to his wife. And uh, the soldier essentially refuses and says, you know, how could I imagine you know, experiencing the comforts of life when my fellow soldiers are out fighting and dying on the battlefield? And so he essentially denies David's request. So plan B, David sends the soldier back to the battlefield, but this time he puts him in the front lines because he knows he's going to die there. And sure enough, the soldier does die. As a result, David takes Bathsheba to be uh, his wife, therefore inviting her deeper into his personal life. And everything seems to be solved. Uh, So it seems. Because if you know the story, you know that nothing is solved. And really all David has done up to this point is just uh, delayed taking full responsibility and experiencing consequences. Now we need to figure out what exactly is David's sin here, because it's actually layered, it's multiple. Uh, David's sin is at least committing adultery, and it is at least killing a guy. And either of those two sins would be enough for God to judge David with. Now, either of those two sins would be enough for, for David's story to stop there. But it's actually in Nathan's parable that we see the very thing that God was hung up on and it often goes right over our heads. You'll notice that this, this parable wasn't just between two men. But as Nathan says at the start of verse 1, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. And that's the clue. See, what happened wasn't just between two men, but it was between a rich man and a poor man. And that has everything to do with authority and power. Authority and power is all about access and opportunity. And that's exactly what's being conveyed here with Nathan choosing to name one man the rich man. This rich man had all the opportunity and had all the access because of his authority, but he misused his opportunity. And he misused his his access. And as a result, he abused his authority. And that is what we need to see is the starting point of Nathan's sin. And that is for God, as communicated in this parable, the starting point for him with regard to David. In other words, there really is no conversation 
if you can't see, if David can't see that uh, it's all about his access and all about his opportunity. And it was in the context of those two things that he did all these, his, his, his acts of adultery and, and murder. It wasn't, it wasn't just uh, a murder or adultery but with a guy, from a guy. It was actually uh, a particular guy, a guy with a lot of authority, with a lot of access, with a lot of opportunity. And until David understands that, see, David might say, what do, what do you mean, authority? I'm just, I'm just a guy. But until David understands that it's not just a guy who did everything, but it was a king who did everything, David will never understand the full weight of his sin. And as a result, he'll never have this experience of, of a deep, the deepest kind of repentance. And then his community and those around him will always just be a little off-kilter. I remember uh, in the last presidential election in 2016, uh, there was a candidate who had uh, quite a bit of money, and in this one interview that I was watching, uh, the reporter sat down with him and said, so how do you plan to relate to the rest of America when most of America has no idea what it's like to have your kind of wealth, access, privilege, and opportunity? And I remember the, the candidate, his, he was genuinely surprised by the question, and he said, uh, what do you mean, I'm just a guy? Now, there's no, no moral judgment on his, on his response or his statement, but what are the chances that someone who doesn't understand his or her own uh, authority and power misuse it and abuse it or is clumsy with it or is at the very least naive about it? And who, who here wants to be naive? And so it's from that posture, a posture that's unwilling or yeah, unwilling to, to, to recognize one's own authority or to or unwillingness to recognize somebody else's authority. That statements by poet Anne Bradstreet come to life when she says, authority without wisdom is like a heavy axe without an edge, bitter to bruise than polish. Authority without wisdom is like a heavy axe without an edge, bitter to bruise than to polish. And so it's hard to say that David had any wisdom or a lot of wisdom if he was unable to see the authority and the power and the access that he had as king. Now, the dictionary says that authority is the power or ability to make decisions. And along those same lines, Andy Crouch in his book, Playing God, calls it the ability to create meaning in the world. And therefore, to lack authority is to lack the ability to create meaning in the world. To lack power is to lack the ability to create a kind of meaning, at least in certain areas of your life. And this is why uh, our culture is very skeptical of authority, because we are, we are sitting here waiting, we're looking at people who have authority, and we're wondering, are, are they willing to choose and to demonstrate that they have the kind of character that would lead to create the right kind of meaning in the world and the people that they're over. And we're just, we're just kind of waiting. We're watching people with authority, And we're just waiting to see if they're willing to demonstrate a kind of character that would lead to creating the right kind of meaning in the world and in the lives they're overseeing. And as you know, our culture in particular is very you know, sensitive and attuned to this uh, at the moment. And a lot of movements have started because of it. And at the heart of these movements, even though nothing is perfect, but at the heart of these movements, what we're seeing is that uh, 
when power chooses the wrong path, the difficult process begins of trying to speak truth to power. That's always hard. Doesn't often happen. And even when it happens, it doesn't often succeed. And we'll get more into that with Nathan and David here. But the goal is not just to speak truth to people who have hurt others. It's to speak truth to those who have hurt others in light of the authority that they have and the access that that authority gave them. So with regard to David and Bathsheba, David had the ability to choose a particular kind of meaning in Bathsheba's life, and Bathsheba kind of didn't. Because in that relationship, David held the power. And uh, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, how come Bathsheba didn't say something? How come she just didn't tell David no? And the answer is it's because he's the king. You can't say no to the king, otherwise you'll end up like her husband, dead. And so David had the ability and the opportunity to create the right kind of meaning in Bathsheba's life, but he chose to choose a different kind of meaning. And that's always the case, that that ability to choose and make meaning in people's lives is always the case for the person who has the authority and the person who has the opportunity, that, that power, that access. And you see this every day, every week, every month, every year in your life if you know how to look for it. It happens all the time to us. So, for example... Let's just take the very common experience of a work meeting. And you leave the meeting at work, and you're wondering, oh, man, how come I, I didn't say that one thing that I was going in the meeting and I was you know, going to say? How come I was silent? And the answer is maybe it's not because you're a coward. And the answer is maybe it's not because you didn't have the right amount of coffee that morning. But maybe the reason why you didn't say the very thing that you knew you needed to say in that meeting was because you don't hold the power in the room. Somebody else does, and you came up to that real wall of the inability to say anything, and you were silent. And then you walked out of the meeting wondering, how come I didn't say the thing that I knew I needed to say in this meeting? Because you didn't have the power. Now, that is low-grade power dynamics at play. That's like you know, a meeting with a coworker or a boss or a CEO at best. None of those guys can take your life away like a king can. And that's exactly the kind of dynamic that David gave or presented with every single person he interacted with, including Bathsheba and her husband. Any, any, any interaction with David for the other person is power with steroids. Not just a CEO or a boss or, or a coworker that's difficult. And so this dynamic is always at play when there's, a, when there's authority and power. The one who holds the authority has the opportunity and the access to create a certain kind of meaning. And this is the first point. The one who holds the authority and opportunity has the responsibility and the obligation to create the right kind of meaning in the world around them and in the lives of the people they oversee. Like David, the one with authority and power has the responsibility to create the right kind of meaning in the world around them and in the various lives that they oversee. But as we see, David abused his opportunity and therefore abused his authority, and therefore it necessitated Nathan to act. So Nathan enters the room, David's palace, and commentators agree that 
because Nathan was entering the room with, with really only one point to make, which was to uh, expose David, to confront David, uh, Nathan, in a very real way, was risking his life, as demonstrated with Bathsheba's husband. But in that, Nathan does have some authority, too, because uh, he has spiritual authority. He was a prophet called by God to speak into the life of Israel, which included the life of, of her kings. Now, spiritual authority is the responsibility, the obligation to speak into the life of those around you. And it's essentially only concerned about confronting the individual for the sake of him or her. And so in its purest form, there's no pride, there's no arrogance, there's no self-righteousness. Nothing like that. Now, I want you to notice the immediacy that all this takes place. Um, Nathan doesn't come to David immediately. And after everything that happened with Bathsheba and her husband, David had the opportunity, as we all do when we make mistakes, to confess and to repent and to turn to God, but he chose, he chose not to. And it's, it was his inability, his inaction, that's the word, his inaction, that necessitated Nathan's act of his spiritual authority. And what we need to see is that whenever this, this happens, whenever you delay taking full responsibility for something, you always make things more difficult in your life and in the lives around you. Uh, the, theologian Cornelius Plantinga, in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, makes the point that resisting someone when they're trying to confront your sin or the refusal to take full responsibility, responsibility for your sin is an expression of deep brokenness. And, and deep sin. And so David's sin here is, is many. Uh, he abused his power. He committed adultery. He killed a guy. And finally, he delayed taking responsibility for it. And all four of those actions have consequences. But in David's hiding his sin, God still pursues him in his sin, which is very good news. Because that's what love does. God and his love for David still pursued David in his sin. And so some time passes, like I said, a year or so goes by. And God essentially says to David, all right, the gig's up. Time for everything to come out in its proper light. And then chapter 12 starts. And you could just, it's very dramatic. It's kind of like a movie. You know, cue the lights, cue the music, and enter stage right the prophet Nathan. But I don't want you to get caught up in the drama. I want you to consider a couple aspects of this interaction between Nathan and David. Uh, first, notice that Nathan isn't David's yes man. Nathan's not David's yes man. And that's an important part of speaking into someone's life. Uh, D- David might not appreciate it at the moment, but he has a gem in someone like Nathan who's willing to speak truth into his life. And the more authority that a person has, the fewer people that person will have in their life that will actually say something real to them. And so David has a a beautiful person in Nathan. And, uh, of course, this leads to a question. Do you have someone like Nathan who's going to speak truth into your own life? Someone who loves you so much they care more about your character and your well-being more than your feelings. Do you have someone like that? Someone who loves you so much they care more about your character and your well-being than your feelings. And it's not to say that feelings don't matter. They absolutely do matter. 
But in a moment or season of crisis, in which this crisis is largely your fault, like David, your character really matters, and you need someone to fight for it, especially when you, are, when you can't, when you're blinded by other things and you don't know how. And so imagine if after Nathan confronted David, David's close friends go to David, and all they say is something like, David, I, feel, I can't believe Nathan would do that. He would just walk into your house, and in front of these people, he would say these, these words to you. He would call you out. You're the man. I feel so bad for you. And that's it. Not very good friends. Or imagine if his friends, after Nathan called him out, just said, look, David, it's not only your fault, it's Bathsheba's fault too. I stand with you. Or, you know, David, a lot of time has passed, what you did wasn't good, but we just need to move on. And none of those words are helpful to David. And the spirit that that posture comes from isn't helpful. And it's not good for David in the long run. And what David needs at that moment is not someone who cares about his feelings foremost, but someone who cares about his character. And what David needed at that moment from Nathan was Nathan to give him the truth. And Nathan did. David needed the truth spoken to him in order to get unstuck. So do you have someone in your life who's willing to speak truth to you, even if it's difficult? But we can flip it, too. It's not just you have someone, but we need to also consider, are you a person who's willing to choose the right kind of character that comes with the kind of courage that can speak truth into a a person's life that's near you, that's close to you? Are, Are you willing to be that kind of person? It goes both ways. Not only do you need someone in your life, but you are called to be that kind of person as well when these situations come up. So are, are you someone who's a yes man for the friends and family members in your life? You know, do you have a, a, someone who's close to you right now in this season who's going through something difficult? It's largely their fault. They need to hear the truth, but either the people they've invited into their life will not speak the truth to them, or they've only invited people in their life who just can't speak the truth to them. But the thing is, you're clearly in their lives, and you're hearing this sermon, and so maybe God is calling you to have the kind of courage to speak that kind of truth into friends and family members. So Nathan isn't David's yes man, but secondly, we need, we need to see how Nathan actually confronts David. Uh, Nathan doesn't come in guns a-blazing, doesn't come in and light up David, he confronts David, but he does so gently. We'll see in just a moment. Uh, he wants to see a process resolved. He wants to see David's situation resolved, but Nathan has a lot of patience. And he's clearly not willing to cut any corners. And so commentators agree that Nathan's approach and his setup and his storytelling of David in this parable communicates a lot of care and a lot, and a lot of love for David. So, for example, uh, the description of this lamb in verse 3, we see this lamb is eating, drinking, and sleeping in the poor man's arms. Commentators point out that um, those are the same verbs that David uses for Bathsheba's husband, that he summons her husband off the battlefield to eat with him, to drink with him, and then tells him to go home to Bathsheba. We'll also notice that um, the lamb is a female lamb, and that mirrors Bathsheba. And at the end of verse 3, when it says that the lamb was like a daughter to this poor man, that Hebrew word is bat. 
which is the first uh, word in Bathsheba's name, Bathsheba. And so commentators are unequivocally agreeing that there are so many clues in this parable for David to hear, and he needs that kind of care because he's a king. He's not going to accept someone just to walk into his space and give him the truth, but he needs someone who's going to give it to him in a way that, 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 that he needs so he can receive it. And so clearly, clearly there's a lot of care, there's a lot of, of uh, thinking prior to this moment of Nathan exercising his spiritual authority. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together says, genuine spiritual authority is to be found only where the ministry of hearing, helping, bearing, and proclaiming is carried out. Genuine spiritual authority is to be found only where the ministry of hearing, helping, bearing, and proclaiming is carried out. In other words, not guns blazing. Nathan shows us that spiritual authority isn't there to obliterate somebody, but rather to help them. Uh, to help them. So what we see with Nathan and David is Nathan isn't David's yes man, and Nathan confronts David, but he does so in a gentle way. And this leads us to something that we need to see, that spiritual authority done right leads to a deeper self-awareness and self-knowledge. Because at the very end, in verse 7, Nathan concludes by saying, David, you're the man. And David's eyes open up. And it leads him to see his sin. And of course, the whole point in that is not to make him feel guilty or ashamed. His own conscience will do that enough. But it's to lead him ultimately to God. And this is the second point. A spiritual authority done right leads us to not only know our sin more deeply, but we can know God more deeply. Spiritual authority, the function of it is ultimately so that we and others can meet God on a deeper level because we have, we're more acquainted with our sin. We have deeper self-knowledge. Uh, this is why someone like Stanley Hauerwas says, as a theologian, you are aware of your sin mainly because you let others speak into your life. You are aware of your sin mainly because you let others speak into your life. And so it is through this interdependence of one another that I mentioned earlier at the start of the sermon in which the church has this, this deep interdependence of one another, that we learn something about ourselves, and as a result, we learn something more about God himself. So Nathan had spiritual authority, which meant he had the opportunity to create a certain kind of meaning in the life of David. He could come in and obliterate him, or he could do something else, and Nathan did something else. He used his spiritual authority so that David could experience life. And of course, this raises the question, is it just Nathan who has his spiritual authority? Because it looks like it. I mean, Nathan's a prophet after all. You know, this is what he gets paid to do. Uh, say hard things to people who don't want to hear it. And so it seems like Nathan and maybe other professional ministers um, are the ones called in the world to exercise, has and exercise spiritual authority. But I, what I want you to see is that's not true. And that this interaction with Nathan and David actually points to something greater. If you're a Christian, you, of course, always have to look to Jesus. And like Nathan, Jesus exercised his spiritual authority. The Bible says that he had all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. And so like Nathan, Jesus used his authority to confront sin, your sin, my sin. Because you're the man and I'm the man. 
just like David in verse 7. So Jesus used his authority to confront sin, your sin, but unlike Nathan, who confronted the, the king's sin at the risk of his life, but he walked away with his life, Jesus, the king, confronted your sin at the risk of his life, and he lost everything. And as a result, he was nailed to the cross, the very thing that you and I should have been on. But you know, if you're a Christian and you follow Jesus by faith, you realize the cross isn't the last word, but it's Jesus' historical resurrection. That has the last word. And when you follow Jesus, you start to realize there's a pattern in faith, that it's death that leads to life. Life only comes from death, but not just any kind of a death. The cross shows us a particular kind of death, a death that gives up of oneself for the sake of another. It's only when you die to self for another that life comes about, and that's exactly what we see with Jesus. And when you follow Jesus by faith and, his, and God's Spirit is in you, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you now have power, and you have a responsibility to use this life-giving power with others. Because of your faith, you're connected to God because you're united to Jesus, but you're also united to every other person who follows Jesus by faith as well, which comes with a beautiful responsibility, which is to share the same kind of love that you've received from God to others. And what I want you to see, and this is the last point, that when you follow Jesus, you are capable, because of God's power and love that is in you, to speak truth lovingly in the lives of others at the right time. And when you do that, you know, it's like, you don't always know how it goes. I'm not promising it will go well or that it'll be easy. It's actually, you, you know, always difficult. But when you take that first step, what you'll discover is actually a step of faith, which is very in line with how you follow Jesus. But as you do that, what you'll discover is that it's not your power that's being lived out. It's actually the power of Jesus living out in your life. When you take a step of faith towards this exercising spiritual authority lovingly, it's not your strength that's being lived out either, but it's the strength of Jesus. And it's not even your love, it's his love. Because it's not your life, it's his life radiating through you. And it is through that life that you move forward in love for those around you. Speaking truth and being humble enough to also receive truth that your life needs to hear as well. Because it's not just those around you, though it often feels like it, who needs to hear the truth. It's your life just as every bit that needs to hear it as well. So do you have spiritual authority? Yes, you do. If you follow Jesus by faith, we all have spiritual authority. But we're called to use it in a way like Jesus did. Authority that lays down one's pride and one's self-righteousness for the sake of the other. And that will bring life. And that is what we're called to do. With that, let's be a community that strives to live out faith and follow Jesus like that. Let's pray. Uh, Father, what a passage you'd have us um, consider this morning. It's, it's really, in many ways, such a horrible passage because it's so difficult. Uh, it confronts not only a difficult action that, that you're calling us to, to, to consider, but it confronts our hearts as well because we know that um, we are all like David and nobody is perfect. And how can we have, uh, uh, on what grounds do we stand on confronting others when we ourselves aren't perfect? But we're reminded that 
Uh, it wasn't Nathan who stood on his own ground. It was the Lord who sent Nathan. Therefore, it's also the Lord who sent Jesus, and it's Jesus who sends us to be active in the lives of those around us. So we ask that you give us that strength. And I pray particularly for those who um, might be in that season where they um, <clears throat> are with a friend or a family member who needs to hear the truth. Would you give them strength and courage to have that conversation? And would you give that conversation grace so that it goes well? Because we know, as we're reminded, it's only through others that we see our need for you. And actually, it's in through humility when we confront others as well that we see our own personal need for you. So I ask that that would happen. And especially now as we approach uh, the table, might we particularly see our need for you and celebrate that, what you've done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.